0: great to see everyone i didn't know if we'd be uh under rain uh uh, heavy rain at the at this point but so far not but i think there's some coming uh grab your donuts and i'll open us in prayer heavenly father we are uh here this morning and we want to look at your word lord we want to we want to find you in it, Lord, and we want your truth, and we want to be able to uh, apply it in our lives, Lord. We want to see uh, how you used a, a little Jewish man named Paul and uh, how, he, how he accomplished great things, Lord, and he had been uh, one who had sought to kill your people, and yet you turned him around. You, you used him for your purposes. You are awesome and uh, sovereign, and we just praise your holy name this day in Jesus. Amen. Okay. We are... Uh, we got to through chapter one last time, and uh, that's great. And we'll start in two today, <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter two. There are five chapters, and I hope to uh, teach this book, and then take a, hi- a hiatus, and we'll have another teaching in between, and then come back and and pick up Second Thessalonians after that, uh, as time goes on. If I had to to put a title on this chapter. I'd probably call it success story, uh, that Paul's ministry uh, was a success in Thessalonica and that he uh, <clears throat> was a bold, a bold giver of the, of the message of God. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting, this morning I checked my emails and I, there was a headline in there that uh, the governor of Texas... Will be signing, uh, probably signing a bill later this week called the heartbeat bill uh, in Texas that will prohibit abortion uh, once a uh, heartbeat is detected. Detected. So that's coming Thursday, hopefully. You know, back in the '70s, early '70s, there was a question that went around, and it was uh, really something that any honest adolescent that had high school uh, biology could have answered, but it was used for a political purpose, and it was, when does life begin? When does life begin? But there was an agenda attached to it, and what we saw uh, come out of it was supposed to be, uh, what was it, safe, legal, and rare. And I can report to you today that it is legal. Anyway, I think that there's an even greater question uh, that Paul had as his motivation. And I think uh, if you ask him what that, what that uh, question was, it would be, when does real life begin? When does eternal life begin? And what would, what would we say to that? When does eternal life? At the moment of salvation, this was, his, this was his driving force. When a person, when the message, uh, the Word of God is delivered powerfully, as we saw in chapter 1, and people are open to receive it, and it, and it does its work, that they're not just words. And when a person accepts Christ as their, uh, their, their own personal Savior, you know, at that moment, life has begun. Real life, eternal life, spiritual life. And I think that's uh in large part what what motivated Paul as we go through chapter two we're going to see that um, he's going to tell us a little bit about how and why he had such such success in thessalonica and uh <clears throat> a lot of that has to do not only with the message but his uh his intentions his his uh, purity. He, he wouldn't say, don't shoot the messenger. He would say, scrutinize the messenger. Look at him. Look at his life. Is he real? Is he authentic? And we talked about that last week. Israel as is well. And also, uh, some of what we're going to see in here, he makes statements that seem to be specifically addressing possibly accusations that had come at him from his critics and naysayers that were accusing him of things uh, like covetousness and uh, greed and uh, cowardice and hypocr- hypocrisy and those types of things. And I think we'll see him address those as we go through here. You're gonna, uh, I noticed that he, had, he calls on witnesses in this chapter pretty heavily. He's going to call on the Thessalonians as his witness or to recall six times. I counted at least six. And he's going to call on God to be his witness at least twice. So we want to see that. He's, he's, he's saying he's, he's nothing to hide. Okay. So, chapter 2. Now I'm going to just tell you, if I, if I were writing this chapter, chapter 2, let me tell you how, how I'd start out. I'd say, this is Paul. You know, I just got here from Philippi, right? And it was horrible. I was mocked by this slave girl. Demons were after me. Uh, I was unjustly accused when I cast them out. They stripped me down and beat me with rods. And uh, then they put me in jail, and they put my feet in stocks. And uh, so, uh, you know, if I'm here now, but if I don't really want to create a whole lot of uh, Uh, advertisement or or spectacle just I'm going to be staying at Jason's house and if you want to see me come on to the back door and knock three times and we can talk about God's Word that's how I would have written it (laughs) that's not how Paul goes at it though so let's pick it up chapter 2 verse 1 and he says uh, for yourselves know for you yourselves know brethren that our coming to you is not in vain but after we had already suffered and had been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had bold, the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid, amid much opposition. He had a boldness of God. And he'd just been ridiculed, beaten, and chased out of, run out of town. You know, boldness is, a, uh, in the Greek, it's, it's a very difficult word, but I'm going to try to say it. Samitha. and it means boldness to speak in the public, on a public forum, in a public address. This is extreme boldness. And uh, he had gotten this partially from what he had experienced in Philippi, from his suffering, and rather than, you know, make him shut up and go away like it would many people, it emboldened him to give the gospel and to speak, and he did it in much amid much contention, or with much contention. And the word there, the Greek word is agonai, agonai. Of course, we get agony from that word. He had agony in the delivery of this message. I think that he was met with a lot of opposition, but I think that he also agonized in his own heart, in his own soul, to, to, to get this message out because he knew of the need of these people, of all people, to hear and to believe the truth. so he was not a secret uh, minister. He, his ministry wasn't hidden anywhere and he was out there and he had that boldness and I think that's part of his success and how God could use him. Linnell? I think that boldness comes from not
1: from itself but because the Holy Spirit is purposing um, and emboldening
2: him to do that. He is being faithful to, to um, the Holy Spirit's work in him.
0: Okay. So his suffering then wasn't a punishment uh, to him. It was something that God was using as the Holy Spirit to take him and to mature him and to give him that boldness that would make him even more successful. You know, the God, sometimes he doesn't let you go one place, and some plant, sometimes you go, sometimes you're persecuted, and Paul seemed to come out of it with the message that was unstoppable. I agree. I think, you know, once you beat a guy so much and throw him in the water and kick him around, knock him off of a third-story window, you know, all of the things. Once you do, it's like, you know, he said, you know, I'll come back. It's better for you, but i would just soon be with the Lord. And that's an attitude uh, that is really based on his uh, experiences and understanding of God. Yes, Mavis.
1: every year, every day. You did have some, you know, rejections and all that, but I was on fire for them to be in heaven. They, I, I, I finally learned the truth of who Christ was. You know, it was always about God, God, God. I didn't know about. I knew Jesus was his son, but not that right. he was my salvation. Right. Putting you know, it into... I, had, I knew many people that thought uh, like I did. So
0: into shoe had, leather.
1: Yes. PhD. She hated my guts about, about preaching to her all the time via email, but she never said it until she got saved. And then she
0: told us her testimony on that. I said, yeah, you <laughs> know, I guess it's, it can be like that. My story is kind of similar to that. I, you know, I got my first Bible in uh, 1989. I guess I was 35, 36. And uh, it's like, where, where has this been? Why didn't you tell me this? You know to people around you especially if they were saved i would be a little angry with people i knew that were saved that hadn't gotten in my face but you know there's a boldness that's required in that to do that you know peer pressure and offend offending people and all that that's really it's and it's not getting any less in our society that's a that's a uh, distraction to getting god's word out so you need to be bold as paul said so (laughs) Next verse, he says, uh, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Exhortation is a great word. What does that mean? Encourage. What else? There's, a, there's something about that word. It's an urgent, urging it's, a, it's an emphatic urging. It's what she's talking about when she was getting the word out, too. And I think that also is part of the, uh, the boldness that he's expressing here. This is a, a successful ministry. Okay. So I need to uh, just say that if, if you don't know this about me, when, I, uh, when I'm studying Scripture, I have a tendency... And I just love to go down rabbit trails, <laughs> and I don't uh, know why that is, but I do. I tend to, uh, especially when I'm going to be teaching, I'll look at different uh, translations, different versions of the Scripture, and I will tell you that these, there's three words here that don't that didn't come with Paul's message. He he he, he holds them up. Error. There's no error. It was a pure message impurity is the next one that talks of cleanness there excuse me uncleanness there was no uncleanness and that's that's in a sensual sense and then he says by way of deceit now if you are a a gentile believer that probably wouldn't stir you up much but there were jewish believers in here also when i go to the king james version which is what's the first bible i got and i'm not a King James only person by any means but I like looking at different versions to get different nuances the word is different and the word is guile okay to a Jewish person that probably had some meaning anybody know where I'm going with this let's turn let's turn to John the book of John and let's go to the first chapter Because if we just take it as deceit, well, that's, that's one form of falsification, but you're missing a deeper meaning, I think, behind it that the Holy Spirit chose to use. The, word, the Greek word is dolos, D-O-L-O-S. Okay, and I'm going to uh, go to verse 43 of uh, chapter 1 and read to the end. <clears throat> it says, The next day he purpose to go into Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him follow me now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter Philip found Nathanael and said to him we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph Nathanael said to him can any good thing come out of Nazareth <laughs> Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under to I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I... I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. This is here. And the King James, this is guile. This is the same Greek word, dolos, this translates. And I would tell you, There's a whole lot that's transpiring in this little passage here. And I won't go that rabbit trail unless you want to. But uh, there's a play on words in this. The word Israelite in here is the single time it's used in any of the Gospels. He could call them Jews, Hebrews, whatever. He said Israelite. And I don't know about y'all's, but mine has an exclamation point at the end of the sentence as well. Now that, of course, there were no exclamation, there were no grammar, uh, punctuation put into the original manuscripts, but the Greek editors of the text did put these in. And it doesn't appear in all, it doesn't appear in NIV. Anyway, so Nathaniel would have understood the word that he used there, guile, I'll just say guile, was a, this is a play on words. Uh, It was a character trait of somebody in the Old Testament. Porter it's not in the NIV it's not in the NIV it's in many others but it happens to be in the NASB so it was a play on words oh it is in the NIV okay Um, behold an Israelite it's not just Israelite it's Israelite indeed okay in whom there is no seat, uh, re- deceit. What does is, what is, uh, Israelite imply? Jacob, I heard. Son of Jacob, a true Israelite. He says a true, He's saying a true son of Jacob. In whom there is no... They would have understood this character trait was attached to, de- to Jacob. All right? He said there's a true son of Jacob in whom there is no Jacob, is what he's truly saying. Okay? There's no deceit. Now, how do I know that this was synonymous? Because of the Septuagint. Do you all know what the Septuagint is? The 70, okay? The Septuagint is where they got 70 or 72 scholars together, and they translated, this was about 250 B.C., they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, into Koine Greek, that Alexander the Great brought, by the way. And uh, so this is the same word that's used in a passage there. Uh, So if y'all would, let's let's turn to Genesis uh, chapter 27. We're going to look at 35 and 36. I know it's a rabbit trail, but don't you love it? Okay. Genesis 27, verses 35 and 36. Is everybody there? 27 chapter 27 verse 35 I'm going to read and it says and he said this is uh, Isaac speaking guys uh, and he said he's speaking to Esau uh, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing hmm deceitfully right there is the word dolos that's how uh, that's how Jacob came and and, and took the, uh, the the blessing remember he wore the fur on his coat after he had uh gypped uh, esau with a bowl of porridge and that kind of thing and then he does this under his mother's direction with rebecca and uh, he's done that and then he and then listen to what esau says in the very next the very next uh, sentence then he this is esau said is he not rightly named jacob for he has supplanted me these two times Hmm. He took away my birthright, and behold, now has taken away my blessing. <sighs> okay? So this is where that word gets that connotation. And so most of the Jewish people would have understood that when Jesus makes a statement that way. So it's kind of a it's a very interesting statement. It's almost a backhanded compliment. One more little thing to follow. If we took this word right here... Uh, that was translated in verse, 20, in verse 35 deceitfully? What if we put it back into the Hebrew? It, we can find it in the Hebrew again, too. So turn, it's still in Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Yes. And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty, dolos, Hebrew word, though than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden. Same word. So that now when he says, when Paul says, I didn't come in any deceit, it's not just, I didn't just give you a false false message. I wasn't with trickery. I didn't have some method. You know, we see a lot of that today in people's ministries, methods and trickery. And, and things that try to draw people in and always take their money in the process. That's not how Paul came. Okay. Now, Sue said, <laughs> I shouldn't go. Oh, she said, I should go the other rabbit trail in so, John. And I don't know. You know what? I can, anybody wants to go, there's some more, there's a really interesting feature of this passage we read out of John that you don't pick up on in a in a casual reading uh, that seemed to come to light as I was studying it. But I can talk to anybody about that later if y'all want to keep on get back into Thessalonians.
2: I, I always think that there's no agenda here. Okay. There's no, there's no you know, time frame we gotta get through this book. Okay.
0: So, I, I enjoy the rabbit trail. How about any, anybody else want to get back into Thessalonians go, playing around? Okay. Let's do a little bit now. I already kind of alluded to some things. Looking at so Nathaniel, he's arrogant and prideful, and I fully identify with him. (laughs) I mean, this is this is my character flaw right in front of me, as I'm reading it. What did what was his response to Philip when he told him, "Hey, we've got the guy, the Messiah that Moses talked about"? He said, "What." Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, does that sound a little arrogant to anybody? Or prideful? Judgmental? Judgmental? Prejudicial? Lots of things. And all we see next is Jesus saw him coming to him and with an exclamatory statement says, Behold what he said, a son of uh, Israel, a son of Jacob, in whom there's no guile. And uh, I think that caught Nathaniel off guard, right? Don't you think? He, he was just, you know, you know how guilty you feel when you've been talking about somebody or something and then you turn around and they're standing right there? You ever been caught in that situation? I think Nathaniel's a little off guard. Hey, I, I uh, said bad things about him and he's uh, given me this great compliment. You know, that's terrible. Uh, but it's like, it's a little weird too because he called me a... I didn't have any Jacob, and he said I was son of Jacob. So the, I think he's a little off guard. I think you're going to see, we're going to get a, a glimpse into some of the, uh, what's the word I used? His humor and uh, what else? Wit. The humor and wit of the Lord. You know, we, we know the attributes of God. And humor and wit, I, I can't find that listed anywhere. But I think he's got humor and wit. Okay. And we're going to get a glimpse at it. Um, he uh, then says, well, how do you know me? To Jesus, right? How do you know me? And uh, Jesus says, before before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, and I saw you. What, what has Christ uh, revealed about himself there? Omnipresent. He's omnipresent, yes. He is omnipresent. You notice he said... I saw you he didn't say I heard you but Nathaniel's a pretty smart guy what Porter you. this is correct this is correct but he has just revealed that he was wherever Philip was under that fig tree he saw him and Philip is not uh, he may be prideful and arrogant but I don't believe he's stupid and I think he would understand hey, if he can see me, he likely can hear me, too, so... Knows my heart. And knows my heart. Very good. Speaking of heart, you know, we talked last week about contriteness, didn't we? We talked about contriteness and a broken heart. Do you think Nathaniel has a broken heart when he says what he said about Naz, Anyone coming out of Nazareth? I don't think so. No. But I read two sentences later, and he's, you know, basically... Uh, Confessing Jesus Christ as, as the, the Savior, the Messiah, what in the world transpired to take a man of arrogance down to a contrite heart and nothing flat? If this were a chess game, i count two moves, checkmate. And so what Jesus said to him, I think, did catch him off guard. And I think that it convinced him on the spot. He was convicted of, his, of who Jesus was and, and what Nathaniel was. I think he had a contrite heart when he said when he voiced those words to Jesus. And then Jesus, listen to this. I mean, this is just pure, uh, beautiful, uh, uh, wit. He goes and then I, he says, because I saw you under the fig tree. That's why you believe you're going to see greater things than those. And then he draws us uh, to a, to an example, an illustration. It's from Genesis chapter 28, right? He has said, he told Nathander. Nathaniel truly a son of Jacob in whom there's no Jacob it catches him off guard and then ultimately Nathaniel admits him and just in case Nathaniel missed anything he throws in this this illustration of Jacob truly truly I say to you you will see heavens open and the angels of God descending and ascending and descending the son of man that's Jacob's ladder that's where Jacob was in flight remember From what all he had done, he thought his brother would kill him, and he's running out, and he sees that ladder. That's where he meets God. That's where he meets the Lord, and that is where he's given the Abrahamic covenant. And so that's where he's made contrite (laughs) before the Lord. I mean, to me, that's like, whoa. My head just exploded, you know? And so it's fun, but I like like that. But anyway, guile is trickery and, and much deeper than pure deceit. And I think that the Jewish people uh, understood it as portrayed in, in Jacob. So let's go back uh, to the text. Yes, we're back in Thessalonians, second, uh, second chapter. Now I'll pick it up uh, in verse 4. It says, you know, that's right after Paul says they didn't come with these uh, errors and impurities and guile. But just as we had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts approved here any uh, thoughts on that he's approved by God how did Paul get approved by God I'll tell you that it's it's the approval it's like it's approval by testing is what it is if if he was in a laboratory this would be the scientist in the white coat that's mixing the chemicals together to see what compound they're, they're looking at or what element, and they'll be testing it. And Paul has been tested and, as such, has been approved, okay, just like gold is heated up in the dross, comes up. Uh, and so he's now, in, he's now entrusted. He's been approved, and now he's entrusted. And when I think of entrusted, I think of, of stewardship. When somebody entrusts you with what's most valuable to them, you're a steward of that item. And it's like, you know, you need to take better care of this thing that someone left to you than even your own stuff. You watch it, you know, even more diligently. And I think Paul had, he treated God's word that way. forged that's yeah, a that's a great and it, it actually they call it work hardened or heat-tempered right. you know he's been through the testing and he's stronger he's bolded because, yeah. of and he's useful because of it have any have y'all ever heard of the I guess it's a legend or we'll talk about it where the, the high priest back in uh, in the temple Uh, that have you ever heard the legend of that they would tie a rope around the the foot or the ankle everybody's heard that and so he would go out and and if he didn't you know do everything according to the way God lined it up he could lose his life be struck dead and he had bells on his robes uh, so that if they stopped hearing the noise they would pull him out you know well, I'd look, you know, it's not in the Bible. It's not in, it's not in the Talmud, and it's not in the Mishnah or the Apocrypha or, or Josephus. It's actually, it was, it was a, a rabbinical, write, rabbinical writing from Spain in about the uh, 1200s, 13th uh, century. But it demonstrates a time when men of God held the Word of God in such high respect. That we understood you know you just don't mess with it you just don't mess with it anybody in here familiar with uh joel osteen okay i don't intend to bust anybody's bubble but we're just going (laughs) to let it fall where it falls today so um he is a very uh successful uh pastor in fact uh, I found an article, uh, Newsweek, Newsmax, excuse me, Newsmax, uh, in 2017 of the top 100 most influential evangelists in America. Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, Joel Osteen, number three. Some of his books uh, give you an idea of what he talks about. Uh, one of them is "Think Better, Live Better." You can, you will next level thinking empty out the negative and his best his first and best your best life now your best life now this is a quote from best your best life now i am what i am today because of what i believed about myself yesterday and i will be tomorrow what i'm believing about myself right now god sees us as more than conquerors able to fulfill our destiny whoa and then I got a funny picture in my mind of him about to take the stage, he, you know, he has the summit that used to be the, the Rockets, uh, Houston Rockets Arena there in Houston. And he he preaches live before anywhere from 20 to 40,000 people at a time. Can't you just see some little guy, uh, as, as Joel's about to go take the stage, some little guy coming tying a rope around his ankle? I can just hear it. Hey, what's that? Oh, that's for you. If you say anything false about God or misrepresent Him in any way, He's going to strike you dead. Now get out there and have your best life now. <laughs> I think that we should have a, a, a real appreciation for the Word of God and His message and the th- truth and especially the purity. And I believe that, that Paul had that. Um, he says, for we never came, I'm going back to the text, we've never, we never came with flattering speech. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor do we seek the glory of man, either from you or from others, even as though, uh, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. So he speaks of two things and he calls for a witness. Can I get a witness, he says. Uh, we never came with flattering speech. What about that? And he, and he calls on the Thessalonians... I think now we're addressing, we're addressing, uh, he's addressing accusations point by point in some of these areas here. We didn't come with flattering speech. He's saying, these guys know it. I mean, they knew it. Why did he have to ask him to witness? But he's, he's calling them for, he's getting it down legally that, that he didn't do that. He's got witness, okay? And he asks, so he asked the Thessalonians about the flattering speech witness, but he asked God about the pretext for greed witness. How come? It's in his heart. The covetousness was in his heart. The flattery, we can most, mostly pick up on that. Whenever I'm being flattered, Sue tells me right away, hey, that was just, they were flattered. Flat. <laughs> <you sure? laughs> yeah, all right. I, I thought it sounded pretty true to me.
1: <laughs>
0: but, you know, that flattering speech, it's, it's not hidden, and uh, anybody astute uh, will, will recognize it. But the, what's, in my, what's going on in my heart, You know, I know, and God knows for sure. So he gets that witness. He's not, you know, he's got, he's just a great uh, example of a Christian. Uh, he didn't seek the glory of man. He see, his, his reward is from God, and that's who he's trying to please. And they could have, assert, could they have asserted their authority as apostles? Would that have been acceptable? Well, certainly, certainly. But I think he's also, this is one of the accusations against him, was that they were fleecing uh, these uh, the flock, as it were, and he says, "No, we didn't do that." And uh, we'll, we'll go on to a second and see how he rebukes that. But he also says, uh, "But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children, children, having so fond an, infection, an affection for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us." I'm a nursing mother, and I'm just gonna say, the guys in here don't need to say a word, because y'all don't have a clue of what he's talking about here. But I would like to hear from the women, what what level of care and love does a nursing mother have for their child? Because the men don't really relate to that. Any? When Christina was born,
1: Mm-hmm. It was really, really we just But really the so she was even mm-hmm. We had a whole life, and we finally got into the and I mean and her part, my part, uh-huh. it was brutal.
0: Okay. What is, what's so important about that early on feeding, breastfeeding? Linnell, what did you say? Connection. Connection. Anything else from a health standpoint? uh, Immunoglobin, immune system is forming at that time. I mean, they're getting all kind of stuff imparted to them that's going to make them healthy any other points well, he, he, he to, to make that yes i'm sure that was frustrating that yeah. how about if you're in the process of, of breastfeeding as a mother uh, what about your own nutrition and the things that you take, medicines that you take or don't take, and you got to be careful there too. right? It's important that your diet is good. You know, I can see application there. For if you lead someone to Christ, you need to be well-versed and keep yourself, you know, in the Word, so that you can be a source of uh, teaching and instruction. And no, now you can talk.
2: Okay. I will say that there were there was more than once I think with our kids that I had to kind of go you need to stop because it's not healthy for you but she would have she would have given everything until there was nothing left.
0: Yeah, there's that that's that bond thing that we don't get.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Not really, but
0: That's great. Very good. And so, and probably so because he when he draws on the illustration of father to child shortly. He, he the the order was the mother and I don't see him doing that anywhere else, uh, the nursing mother illustration, uh, so that's good. I think he really really cared about these people. I mean, way beyond what you would have expected just, you know, 3 weeks come in, give the gospel, hey, they got saved and leave or be chased out of town as he was. And yet he developed a very, very deep affection that I think lasted him his whole life. He's going to at the end of this uh, chapter we will see that they are his indeed his they are his hope. The Thessalonians are his hope. And we will look at that. Okay.
2: No flare. Not wealthy on his way to being so and all that he gave up he gave up his life to not just for the Thessalonians but for all these different churches mm-hmm. he gave up all of the worldly stuff and didn't ask anybody for anything you know, was working with his hands to, to provide for himself
0: but he gave up everything he was an amazing guy that could be used of God he did all that and he would he would tell you that it was all rubbish you know in light of what he understood from the Lord and that's what we need to understand this all this all this stuff around us right now this is rubbish and the the eternal uh, state uh, is what's going to be so glorious and awesome
2: Christ and how Paul is describing himself, that it reminds us of who we serve, that all that Christ did for us, that we should be that same
0: image. That that's right. Paul is definitely bearing that image of Christ, not asserting his authority, which he said I could. Which that's exactly an imitation yes. of what Jesus did. Sure. This was the heart. When I came back to start teaching this book again, the first thing that hit me in the face was, Paul keeps saying... Do like me, be like me, look at me, and I'm going how, you know, prideful, (laughs) and it's not from him. It's not. Right, (laughs) really. um, What you said was, can I say that about myself? Be like me. Wow. No, I wouldn't dare to. I mean, you. I don't even need a rope around my foot. I don't want (laughs) to get struck, (laughs) struck dead no really uh i mean we have no idea we talk about a bad day no paul knows what uh what an affliction is and uh so once i realized that it it just started taking on a whole different level he has the he has the authority to do what he to say look at me you know to look at the messenger and uh, to imitate because he is imitating Christ exactly, and you see the scenarios. We saw it with the, uh, what is it, the joy of the Holy Spirit in affliction. There's Christ, and you know, we see this, uh, you know, getting beat up and then coming and and, and talking and uh, boldly, and so, and then not even taking. He was an apostle. It was fully acceptable for him to, you know, I and mean, you should pay your pastor. There's nothing wrong with that, and uh, and yet they came in. And as I say, I think he's uh, uh, debating back to the, to the accusations that were made against him here. And he's saying, we could have and we didn't. And Not only didn't we, he says we, uh, let me read verse 9. He says, for you recall, once again, he's reminding the Thessalonians, you recall, get a witness, brothers, our labor and hardship and how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed you the gospel. Not, that means not to be a financial burden to you. He was not a financial burden to them he carried his own weight and he says he worked day and night this word uh labor here is the same word used for labor of love that we saw in uh, the first chapter verse three labor of love working day and night uh and i think he was i think they were making tents and i think they were giving out the word and somebody knocked on the door if he just laid down he got up and uh you know maybe he'd been up 20 hours um Working night and day. You know, in all the times I see Paul compare himself to a bondservant, never once does he say, I'm an employee of Christ. I knock off at 5 o'clock, and I got three weeks of vacation coming this year. No, he doesn't do that. He's, he's in it. He is owned by his master. And uh, you see that in what he writes. This is a good time to stop. We'll pick it up in verse 10 next week then if that's okay. Tom, would you close us in prayer?
2: Almighty God, we-
0: that in Lord, Amen.